0: To ESPN's The Far Post Podcast. We are back. We've got some Tilly's action under our belt. So now it is time to go through that match. Unfortunately, the Matildas lost 3-2 to the Republic of Ireland in Dublin. We had two Mary Fowler goals, which were absolutely delightful, but three Irish goals, some questionable <laughs> defending, but um we'll talk about it all because that's the whole point of this podcast and taking you through it is me, Marissa Lordanik, Angela Christian Wilkes, Anna Harrington and Sam Lewis. So let's start as we usually do with some you love to see it. So Anna, do you want to kick us off with a you love to see it?
1: I'd love to from my uh, lack of sleep induced delirium, Marissa. It's a very bleary eyed pod today. Um you mentioned Mary Fowler's two goals. It's, it's been so exciting to see her continue to come on in leaps and leave some bounds. Um, but I think the moment that really struck a chord for me this morning, as I just tappering away through <laughs> through that game at four in the morning, was this ripper pass that she made that just absolutely split the island um, defense for Sam Kerr. And I think it took might have taken a good challenge for for Kerr not to go on and score a goal, but it just highlighted the talent that this kid has. Like. We know she can go for goal. We know she takes risks. But it was really wonderful to see her open up the play a bit further up the pitch and try to become the creator. Um, We'll talk more about Fowler, I'm sure, in a minute. But that moment just, you know, it makes you go, look at the potential this kid has. How good can she be? And when things all start coming together, geez, it's going to be – it's already exciting. It's going to be so even more exciting, though. So Mary Fowler just – showing glimpses what she can do a bit further up the field as well you love to see it we do love
0: to see it and I'm glad you mentioned it we should just put a warning we were all up at 4am most of us were working all of our brains were doing things we haven't really napped so apologies in advance for just everything that has been said on this pod so far and what's coming up but anyway not important Sam Sherry you love to see it please
2: my you love to see it was to have crowds back at an international friendly like th- it was a fabulous sort of atmosphere i think for these two nations to be experiencing it was the first time crowds were back in uh dublin stadium for an ireland home match since last year um it was really cool to see the home crowd get by oh, i mean can we clear wheel? i going got her international debut with the Matildas and I was alive to see it. I am so thrilled. Everyone here who has listened to this podcast knows that I am the number one wheeler stand. Get out of here, Brenton Speed. That place is occupied by me and I thought that she was good when she came on. The circumstances weren't so good. She had to replace Chloe Gazo, who went off, but it feels like it was only a matter of time for this sensational midfielder. She was so, so good for Sydney FC and W League last year. And she's just gone, come along in, in leaps and bounds, going overseas to play a club football and now getting a call up to the Matildas. I'm so happy for her. She was on our podcast. She's just, just an excellent person. She's a great player. I'm so thrilled for her. I'm so thrilled for the Matildas. You love to see it.
1: Yeah, that that earthquake in Melbourne earlier, they say it came from Mansfield, but it was actually from the screaming and stomping on the floor Sam did when she saw the the board go up with the number 26 and well, wheeler come on. The aftershocks still reverberating through this podcast.
0: Mansfield, more like Sam's Field, but oh, yeah. <laughs> but
1: also just like a
0: glimpse into the far post group chat. I believe Angela and I both congratulated Sam on Claire Wheeler's debut because obviously Sam was a big part of this and it meant (laughs) a lot to her and as you can tell it really really did but we did love to see it and something else very similar vein we'd love to see Angela would you like to share
3: I would like to share but I, I just want to preface I can't match the energy of that I'm so sorry but very similar vein friend of the pod I'm not I've I am going to say there's a connection there, you know, that we, we summoned this, that we made good things happen, but Angie Beard also made her senior debut um, this morning. And it was just fantastic to see of being such a huge, I think we've all been such a huge fan of her over the years. Um, And just, I know that it's been a goal for her to get back into that setup after um, going through the juniors teams as well for the Matildas. So yeah, you you love to see it. And yeah, you love to see defenders, possible defenders for the future. I'm sure we'll get into that. But yes, um so massive congratulations to Angie Beard on her senior debut. I'm sure, she's absolutely stoked. Um and yeah, you love to see it. I do love that
0: you tweeted it and I I think it's true. We did manifest it. So if you come on the pod, good things will happen, all just women footballers out there in the land, come on our pod, have a chat. Great things will happen. Tegan Micah came on the pod and then she played five out of six games at the Olympics. It's just... It's facts. I don't know what else to tell you. But, no, let's get into the game proper. We'll start with the other kind of bits and pieces that we love to see. We mentioned Claire Wheeler and Angie Beard. The other person, obviously, that got their debut was Charlie Grant. She's been kind of in and around the the camps and the team for the whole year but just hadn't been getting on the pitch. So it was awesome to see that she finally got her cap and got some minutes into the legs in the green and gold who else did we kind of love to see? Who was a positive for us from this game?
1: I mean, you can't go past Mary Fowler, can you? Like, I know we mentioned earlier, and you love to see it, but she was clearly the shining light this game, particularly in the first half. She looked involved in everything. The movement was so dynamic early, I thought, with her and Sam Kerr and to a lesser degree, Emily Gilnick, who got the assist for that opening goal. The thing I love about Mary Fowler is that she takes risks. You go, is, is it that they just happen to be paying off but at the moment and maybe that will drop away like I, I don't care like you've got you've got to actually take the risk to get the reward and uh, you see so many players can be conservative about these things and you know not want to go for it but she goes for it she backs herself in she generally t- tends to keep her strikes I think almost a bit lower so they're a bit more of a chance of maybe attracting a deflection or getting on target you don't see her really blast them over into the stands or anything. She just moves on the ball so well, and um, clearly Tony Gustafson wasn't happy with this performance tonight. He actually, we'll get into it later. But he said there were no pos- there was no positives to take out of this performance as a team, from a team collective. But in terms of individuals, it was Mary Fowler that he he absolutely loved. So he said that her first half was just world class, and then he's gone oh my, <laughs> she's so good out there on and off the ball. The way she sets players up, her movement, just floating out there, she's 1v3 at times and she just slides out of those pressure moments. Her finishing, we know she's brilliant with both her right and left foot. And that's what's so exciting. remember when we were doing these podcasts in those friendlies that went really, really badly for us <laughs> before the Olympics and the questions were clearly, you know, are we going to see Mary Fowler get the defensive running right Um get more involved in terms of build-up. And I remember speaking to Tony um, in a one-on-one pre-Olympics where he was talking about, for both her and Kyra Cooney crosses. it about learning to do these things. It was about building that side of the game. Um, always had that attacking weapon, but it was about learning how to do the defensive running, learning how to do the other bits that make you a more complete player. And, yeah, you look at these two goals and, one, realistically, Courtney Brosner's has had an absolute mare and just let it squirm through her fingers, and the other one's taken a heavy deflection. But Mary Fowler's rolled the dice on both occasions and she always looks to sort of wheel around, can get away shots on both feet. She makes defences think. um, And I think we'll get to see even more of the best of her when we get maybe a a Caitlin Ford or a Hayley Razzo in the team with her. And we can see some of these players link up more and more, but she was just so exciting. I know she tailed off in the second half and it was a weird second half in that Ireland scored that goal. And then (laughs) we kind of had chances, but didn't, but like, Fowler's first half performance for me was clearly the highlight of the game. She was clearly our player of the match. And um, to have a young player come in and perform like that um, as a starter and just show what she could do was was really nice. And let's not forget, she was eligible for the Republic of Ireland. We mentioned last week um, we got to show off, you know, the kid that picked us (laughs) and she was fantastic. And I'm sure that would have meant a lot to her as well. So, yeah, I, clearly the sky's the limit for this kid, like, and she, she did herself proud, I think. So, yeah, Sam, you were you right to see her as well, I know.
2: I was, yeah. I thought that was her best performance in a Matilda shirt up until this point. Um, she had sort of flashes and glimpses throughout the Olympics, but in terms of putting together a, a full half of football, I think that was her most consistent and her most impressive. Another player who I really enjoyed seeing actually is maybe not who we would have expected, but it was Courtney Nevin. She earned her first starting uh, spot for the Matildas since her call up. Um, She started as the sort of the left wing back, which she's played at club level and at at junior and young Matildas level for a number of years. Um, She was, I thought she was really solid. She, um, defensively, I think she did get caught out a couple of times, but, that's probably to be expected for someone who's quite inexperienced and quite young coming up against world-class, you know, wingers and forwards. Um, but the thing that I remember most about her performance was that she delivered this absolutely sensational ball in the lead up to the Matildas first goal. And she's been doing that a lot over the course of her career. She has an absolutely wicked left foot, like Steph Catley levels kind of delivery and, um, and she was able to show that she was able to show why she has been rated at at youth level for such a long time, and why she's earned this call up now. So I think that that was a it was a really solid um, first serious go that she's gotten for the Matildas, and she didn't really look out of place. So I think that that, considering where she came from, she didn't really have much of a W League season last year. Um, sort of been in and around NPL level, but hasn't really been doing much like by contrast to all of the, the teammates around her. Um, but, yeah, I was really impressed with her. Angela, what about you?
3: I was just going to say, I think it's um, going back to these younger players. So we have, you know, Kyra Cooning cross and Mary Fowler and Courtney Nevin as well. Just so thankful that they put in the time and energy and Tony put in the time, everyone put in the time and energy earlier in the year to develop them because we missed a lot of big names this game. And I just don't, I, it felt comfortable like with Kyra Kunicross and Mary Fowler out there, you know, they're obviously still developing, but having that these moments where they're, you know, already have game time under their belt, they know what they're doing. They know what they're working on and they're not just being thrown into the mix. That, that feels like a real positive. And I don't know, they really stepped up. I think it was really good to see that, even though on the other side of that, there's the massive con of all the names that we were missing um, which we might get into. But yeah. And going off what you just said, Sam, definitely agree about Courtney Nevin. To be honest, she's flown under my radar maybe because of, you know, I don't follow the new South Wales NPL very closely, that sort of thing, but it's fantastic to see. Um, yeah. Like I said earlier, defenders, de- developing defenders. I know that's the big thing. And that was what this game was all about and lot, lot to learn from, but yeah. Um, some promising signs also just want to say that when Tony's mad I feel like he's mad at me as well like does anyone like I feel personally guilty like <laughs> yes. I contributed I don't know anyway
2: he Sorry, was Tony. real he was real bristly after the game Harrow and I were in the press conference together and he was
1: just the two of us Sam it look was at us just, just the two, two of us.
2: us he was so but he actually said like because Harrow asked him sort of the opening question, Tony, what were your thoughts on the on the game? And he actually said, I'm I'm so emotional that I can't really give like a, a good objective assessment mm-hmm. right now. He was so pissed off. And I really like that about him, actually. I like that he's really passionate. I like that he cares. And he said in the circle afterwards apparently that, that performance was not good enough. That performance was not okay. We didn't play the way that we want to be playing. We didn't play to our identity. We didn't play to our strengths. We didn't play for our captain right? Mm -hmm. Sam Kerr, a 100th cap. They built it up so much over the course of this camp, wanting to leave her with a really positive memory of this game in order to celebrate her centenary. And they didn't do that. They failed to live up to that. And I think all of them really felt it. And especially Tony. And in that press conference, yeah, we were just sitting there like, I almost don't want to like ask a more critical question because I don't want him to get more mad. And I don't want to be the the, the cause of that. You know, he's already mad enough, please. Let's just
1: try and tiptoe around things. Just your old pal Haro saying, and did it always feel off? <laughs> <laughs> from, yeah, and apparently So it when did.
2: did it fall apart? Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, and the thing was he said they they looked off from the first whistle, that he felt like they were off, they were late to things. Um, and I, I like that he came out strongly. This is a game they're expecting to win, a game they're expecting to dominate. And I like that he made a point of them not stepping up in Sam Kerr's milestone game. Um, we saw it as a media distribution from Kerr um, that came out the day before the game where she was obviously um, disappointed that Emily van Egmond, um, who for personal circumstances couldn't get there. And I imagine Caitlin Ford as well, who has played such as both of those players played such a significant role in her journey. Couldn't be there for her hundredth game. Like the players, they all came through together as teenagers, right? So it was really on this group of players to make this 100th cap a special occasion. Sam Kerr is only the 10th player to do this. 10th Matilda, sorry, to do this. Um, and I like that Tony was strong on this, that he came out and said, as you say, Sam, we went against our DNA. We, we didn't play the way we, we used to play, to play a physical game, to be aggressive, to give 100%. That's a really damning thing. He said he reckoned it was a record in terms of the technical errors that they, that they would have made in that game. And um, it was, yeah, just the line about, you know, Kerr was going to remember this game for the rest of her life, being our 100th cap, and they wanted to leave her with a positive memory, play extra for their captain, and it didn't look like that. And he said that they all agreed on that in the, I guess, the circle post-match. Um, and, yeah, it was it was good to see such a strong statement because I think they very much, and I like the way you worded it in your Guardian piece, Sam, about you could see Sam Kerr sort of bristling and thinking, is this how it played out? Like <laughs> on the bench right at the end, it was, it was disappointing. It was good to see um, Tony react strongly. Um, one other, I will go back briefly to the positives for a moment. He did mention, as you said, An, Angela, Angie Beard. He said that she played bravely, like with and without the ball when she came on. And I thought she was a standout when she came on. She, I think her first touch, she straight away, she was playing left side and center back and she drove it straight to Steph Catley to get on the attack. Um, She wasn't afraid to put her foot in and try and play the ball to to move around and get involved, to try and assert herself in that defence, and I think we did need someone to try and be a bit of a general, uh, aside from obviously Claire Polkinghorne. So I thought that was was super impressive and just added a little bit more aggression, both in terms of the obvious defensive side, but in terms of really showing some intent to get further up the pitch. And uh, as Angela said, it was great to see some of these players get reward for their training form. And uh, he, he mentioned Claire and Angie were the two that had really stood out on the training track in terms of those new players. So, but, yeah, fired up Tony.
0: Anyway, but, yes, he was very fired up. And I think people would appreciate that because if he came in and said, oh, but, you know, like, we did this right and this and blah, blah, blah. Like, no, the fact of the matter is we lost. And I don't know how to say this respectfully, but we should have beaten Ireland. So it it feels good that at least he is coming out and owning it and say, saying, yes, I agree with kind of the sentiment that fans would be feeling.
1: Yeah, I, I do a lot of post-match presses, <laughs> men's, men's football, AFL, AFLW, whatever, a whole lot of post-match press conferences. And I think there's nothing that's more frustrating, I think especially for your fans, but also for us in the media is when a, a coach just says, oh, no, but we dominated the game. We dominate possession. Tony basically said that possession was, he didn't say meaningless, but he said it really didn't matter in this case because of the way we butchered the ball. He did not say butchered. That is an is AFLism coming to the fore. But he talked about how, it, I think it was something like 50% passing efficiency, 20% efficiency with our crosses. Like, as I mentioned before, so many technical errors. People can see that stuff happening. They could see us getting caught on the counter. They could see us making defensive lapses. They could see where it was going wrong. Sam Kerr getting isolated, things not clicking in terms of the balls going into the area, all this sort of stuff. People can see it. Um, so you, you don't need the coach trying to pull the wool over your eyes with that. And I think people as disappointed as most people I would have thought would have been with that result, it was good to see him address it front on. And I know he said he was emotional and he, he didn't want uh, – to create too many big headlines, but it was good. They came out strong and it wasn't just all um, sunshine and rainbows because the, the performance was far from that.
2: I do think that we need to keep in mind the context of the squad though. Like this team was down eight core players from the Olympics. A lot of those were regular starters as well. Like basically the, the entire spine effectively and and the experienced midfield wasn't there. So I'm not I'm not hugely surprised that we struggled. I'm I'm surprised that we struggled in the ways that we did, but I'm not surprised that it was closer than what like that we didn't run away with it. I didn't think that we would run away with it when I saw this squad. Because you know there were almost half of the players that were called into this camp have fewer than 10 caps. Like they're really inexperienced. A lot of them are very young as well. But that's like that's the point. We, you know, we need to keep in mind that a, a lot of these friendlies and a lot of these international windows are part of this process. They're part of Tony trying to figure out and find answers to questions that everybody has been asking for a really long time. And in the in the press conference that he gave um, after the squad announcement for this window, he said deliberately that this was an opportunity to focus on defensive questions that we needed to try and figure out. What kinds of players are out there, how we can fill particular defensive gaps that were exposed in the Olympics. I don't feel like this game necessarily answered a lot of those. I mean, maybe it did. Maybe it did answer a lot of questions for him. Maybe he was able to see the potential that a couple of other players have, like an Angie Beard, like Courtney Nevin, like a, a Charlie Grant, who did come on in the in the end. And got a couple of minutes but she's showed you know some real good flashes of speed she showed initiative to get further up the field she showed some real grit when she was defending so i think that's that's important for him i think all these little moments even if they're if we take it as an isolated game as an isolated result and an isolated performance yeah it looks terrible but when we string them all together we see that it's part of this longer process this longer conversation that tony's having with his staff with the players and with us as you know as fans and as the media That he's trying to figure out all this stuff with ultimately 2023 as the main goal.
1: And yes, Sam, you you just cannot look at this without looking at the players that were absent. I thought we've missed Emily van Egmond as that steadying presence in midfield. I thought early on we looked so rough and so panicky with the ball. And I know there are plenty of non-believers when it comes to Emily van Egmond, but you can't deny that she is confident and calm on the ball, isn't afraid to have it at her feet, isn't afraid to hold it and demand the ball. I think that's something we really missed. But the others, like Kaya Simon was in our top three performers at the Olympics. Um, We know Hayley Razzo had the shoulder and um, Caitlin Ford with that injury. And obviously, obviously Ellie Carpenter was, apart from probably Sam Kerr, our best player at the Olympics. So a group of fantastic players, all starters, If we were going full strength, all of those players would have started, realistically. its I mean, that's clear. So, yeah, you've got to look at it in terms of that perspective. As you say, Sam, it was about building defensive depth. It was about testing out other players, seeing how they could could stand up to the pressure. And another thing that is worth remembering is that Ireland had a lot to play for. (laughs) They were coming off, I think it was seven losses in a row, um, you mentioned earlier about the crowd, Sam, and that wasn't entirely tongue in cheek as you build up to your Claire Wheeler. Yeah, <laughs> no, it
2: wasn't. It was good to Yeah.
1: <laughs> and they were coming off um, a huge um, moment, like a defining moment in terms of Irish women's football with their um, pay equality deal. And this is a team that a few years back had dramas even getting uniforms. Like the momentum was there. They were on home soil. They were up for it. And Tony had stressed that they, you know, they work hard, they're aggressive. they... Are athletic. Katie McCabe um, obviously has that wand of a left foot. And just, is so aggressive. Like she just goes through players. Um, and Denise O'Sullivan is a world-class midfielder. She is a top player and we were playing with, I think, a little bit of a makeshift midfield. Tony did praise Paracuni Cross for her maturity. I thought she responded really well after probably giving away a poor free kick for the opening goal, like a foul she didn't need to give away. He praised her maturity and the way she was connecting and the way she did the hard running, which is not the role we saw her in in terms of the W League, but it's the role she's been deployed in a lot more in the Matildas, um, that more deep-lying midfield role. it's it's worth taking all these things into consideration and um if at the end of the day it's a big wake-up call in terms of you can't just go up against the world number 33 and think it's going to happen I don't know if they did that but Tony clearly wasn't happy with um the the effort the intent and the hunger in terms of standing up in Sam Kerr's milestone match then they just have to use it as an opportunity to move forward and yeah, I guess that was the thing that was would have been frustrating for Tony was it wasn't about the players that we were missing. It was about not seeing the non-negotiables in terms of effort and desire and fighting out every ball and those sorts of intangible things. So, yeah, it's, it's certainly not panic stations, but it does once again highlight those things to work on. I mean let someone else go into the defensive lapses but the the third goal in particular was um, was pretty damning the back post header
3: I don't know if you guys feel the same but because this is just the one game it feels a little bit like I don't know what now like we know all of this but I just I'm really keen to see them play again I don't know because I feel like it, it can't just be one game like you can't develop a a first class defender in one game and you can't I don't know how much Tony would have gotten from that game as well in terms of you know your Angie Beards and your Charlie Grants and that sort of thing so yeah I'm keen to see if they play before the end do we have any more international friendlies we have a few yeah before the end of the year and then we've got you know Asia Cup started next year as well so I don't know I'm a little bit nervous because 2023 isn't that far off but it We have to just take it as a work in progress and one step at a time. I don't know. It is what it is. That was so lame. I'm sorry I said that. It is what it is.
1: Anyway. Oh, another thing I think is worth briefly noting was um, I think a lot of people would have wondered why Mackenzie Arnold started and Tony actually told Sam and I at the press conference today that tegan Micah. Um, didn't train until the final three days of camp. So effectively, you know, that's tegan Micah unavailable. So they made the decision ahead of the match to have um, Mackenzie Arnold for a half and Lydia Williams second half. I don't think you can blame either of them for any of the goals. Um, so especially that that weird one that Mackenzie Arnold copped where it just comes off the post and then bounces back in off her. It's rough. I think she saw it late um, and... Yeah, it was. Uh, I don't think it answered anything in terms of our, our goalkeeper situation, but Tony just sort of stressed the importance of we need three good goalkeepers in any squad, and you know <laughs> they need to keep playing. And Bo's up and about.
2: Bo's up and about. I know he's back <laughs> sleeping in my room because I think he felt that like he was in trouble when he was in pen jail. <laughs> no, he's he's going well. Sorry, sorry to interrupt.
1: Pen in jail is where we put Sam when she has too many takes. She can't write anymore. <laughs>
3: I was thinking about the goalkeeper thing as well. I don't know if this is necessarily the time or place to ask. But if one of these three goalkeepers can't come into camp or can't play for whatever reason, who's after that? I feel like it's there's a bit of a, a drop, a lot of question marks, a waterfall of question marks. Like who's who's next in line? I don't know.
1: Yeah, they brought in Sally James from who did play at Canberra United and is now signed for Melbourne City. Um, they brought her in in the last camp to give her a, a taste of things. And I, I still wonder if that was maybe with an eye to when Lydia Williams was a bit proppy going into the Olympics. Um, So she would have got a heap out of that. Tegan Micah did a similar thing a couple of years ago where she just was around the squad. So I imagine James would be one of those ones that want to prove a point. I think they always will keep an eye on Jada Wyman because <laughs> you just... Got to keep an eye on these talented players. But, yeah, it's, it's really on some of these youngsters to have big W-league seasons and show that they deserve to be looked at. It's um, show that they can find the consistency, that they can play every week and kick on. But I still feel like we're in a better position than we were even, I don't know, 18 months ago with the the rise of Tegan Micah um, and... Yeah, Mackenzie Arnold still, as much as she had the Troubles pre-Olympics, she is playing in a top league um, and Lydia Williams is a known quantity. So I feel like we're not quite as nervous.
3: Yeah, it's probably a greedy question. I'm like, three perfectly fine keepers.
1: And I'm like, I won't love. It's a very Australian question. I think men's and women's games, we are very good at developing keepers. And as soon as we don't have about five competing for <laughs> national teams, but we're like, Where? Are they? <laughs> Why are they all playing AFL?
3: <laughs> anyway, still not over Bree Davy. I'll never be over Bree Davy. Sorry.
1: Do we do we need to touch on the defensive lapses a bit more? I mean, I've, I think I think they were pretty clear. the The third yeah. goal was was unacceptable. I think all those players would know that. Letting Louise Quinn get the easiest of back post runs,
0: making, without a care in the world, making six foot Louise Quinn look like she was this big. I am holding my fingers very close together friends who are listening to the pod and not seeing is making her look like she was tiny and could just like squirm in between our defenders to head this ball ridiculous but i do think what you were saying before about some of the other goals being just really unfortunate is a a very astute point
1: like this the first goal um unfortunate free kick um that just bounced weirdly off the post the second one took a incredibly wicked deflection. As I said earlier, it was a bizarre game in terms of deflections and goalkeeping. I just think the third goal was shocking and is one that a lot of the players that were in that area will watch feeling very, very uncomfortable the way she was just able to, to breeze through at, at the back post. I was going to say all the goals were ugly as well.
2: But
0: <laughs> but you're right, though. Literally every goal was ugly.
2: Oh. Well, they're all real crap them. goals. They're, just like, they're the kinds of goals that regardless of how you score them or if you can see them, everyone's just like, ugh. You know? Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> like the fact that the first goal, it's Lucy Quinn's international debut for Ireland mm-hmm. like in her late 20s, and she steps up, takes a free kick ahead of Katie McCabe. It ends up going in the bottom corner, but it ultimately counts as an own goal to Mackenzie Arnold. Yeah. You don't even get the goal. Like, like no I one think wanted that. I that just sums it up. <laughs>
2: Can I say something very quickly about that goal as well? I It was mentioned in uh, my Sydney group chat with uh, some of the MPL boys. It is a pet peeve of mine and it's shared amongst this group chat as well. When a wall doesn't jump or when it, yes, when it jumps ma'am. in a half-hearted manner, which is what happened here. Like that, if Alana Kennedy had jumped with a little bit more spirit, I feel like she would have got ahead to that free kick and she probably would have pumped it over the crossbar. Like either jump or either jump like with all of the atoms in your body or don't jump at all. Like there has to, you can't just do, you can't half-ass a jump. That's sorry. That's just my thing.
1: Yeah. No, Sam, I agree. Yeah. You, you got to be ready to cop the Falcon, don't you? Like
2: yes, as a professional
1: footballer, like it's, it's not um, state three or state four. Um, you Angela enjoyed that as a little reference to her football career where you can get away with not going in for the big headers like your pro footballers I think they, they probably would have been disappointed looking at that because it's poor Mackenzie Arnold who probably um, having you know had some confidence dent- denting uh, clangers in the past isn't feeling too great about herself after that when realistically as you say Sam jump for it <laughs> or don't but don't half-ass it <laughs> Um, but of course, if we're going to go good, bad, and the ugly, the ugly has to be the injury to Chloe Legazzo. Um, Tony Gustafson didn't want to mention, or didn't, sorry, didn't want to speculate on the severity of it post match. He said she, um, she'd have to have scans. Uh, and obviously, they'd be worried because Chloe Legazzo is not a player who um, goes to ground easily. She's tough. She, um, it takes a fair old injury whack to rule her out of any game. So when she went down after that challenge, grabbing at her knee, you, you naturally, fear that it's going to be a bad one, but we don't have any confirmation on that. So fingers crossed for Chloe Lagarde, who Tony did describe as sparkling before that. He said that she was sparkling in terms of her performance. So always a very popular player no matter who the coach is and I think one that they he described it as really we don't need that, <laughs> Chloe Lagarde getting injured. So fingers crossed for her that she is okay.
0: So let's wrap everything up with some how good, Sam. Uh, how good, please?
2: So as the resident dog owner of this podcast, I would it would be remiss of me if I did not mention Ted the dog. Ted the dog, uh, the Matildas met Ted um, a couple of days before the game. Ted belongs to the Australian Embassy in Ireland. Uh, Ted is a little black fluffy thing. I don't know what breed it was, but... There's an absolutely adorable video across Matilda's social media of all of them spotting Ted and just like uh, completely narrow focus. There is nothing else in the universe that exists except for Ted and the rest of the video. I'm sure they probably had other plans for this particular social media post in this moment, but... The rest of the video is just about ted it's about them patting ted talking to ted ted's in the photos the actual official team photos of the the irish ambassador holding the jersey ted's there i mean i'm all about that i love that i'm i'm proud of ted for shooting his shot or, or her shot or their shot don't know how ted identifies um but that's you know that's just a that's a real cute thing and it's, it's nice to be reminded as well that like the matildas are dog girls you know, like, did anyone have, like, horse girls at school? I, I wasn't a horse girl. I, I had a guinea pig girl at school, um. but I was, I was the dog girl. So um, it's good to be reminded that all the Matildas are dog girls as well. How good?
3: A friend of mine sent that to me and was like, whoa, so at all levels when they see a dog. And I can confirm if there is a dog nearby at <laughs> halftime, the oranges are ignored. Everyone's around the dog. <laughs> friend of the pod, Tom, coaching at that point in time. Can't get a word in. When
1: I captained uh, my football team when I was about, what, 17, um, my dad, it was when we got Megan Tess, my infamous black Labradors, and they were little puppies. No one would be paying attention to the game because it would just be dad walking around the two little black Labrador puppies (laughs) doing laps around the the pitches. Just all interest in the game goes out the window. How good. I appreciate (laughs)
0: should the tillies are simple people they like
1: coffee and they like dogs
0: and that's that's all you need to know and what more I respect do you want in that.
1: life really literally it's why they're most they're our most relatable and popular and well-liked team surely it's got nothing to do with the on-field heroics at the olympics absolutely like nothing they're just
0: like us <laughs> it's dogs and it's coffee and we love to see it how good harrow hit us with a how good
1: yeah, speaking of uh, Tilly's pre-game in camp nuffery, I really enjoyed. Um, actually, I have two elements of pre-game nuffery. We talked about the first one. Um, was Lydia Williams posted a video on her Instagram stories of all the Matildas doing the nut bush when they got into camp. <laughs> Incredible! And Tony Grealish in, going, the, Tony. Tony's in yeah. the corner. <laughs> He's in the corner, getting right into it. Like uh, this is. I think it's a relatable experience for most Australians when you're. Um, at a party with people who aren't from here, and you get to show them what we learn in primary school oh, how to do the nutbush. So, clearly let they me all show got... you
2: the song and dance of my people. <laughs>
1: <laughs> it's whether you do the real basic version or you do the tricksy one with the extra little um kicks, the little cross stuff. kicks.
2: Yes, yes, yeah,
1: yeah. I was always more of a the, the straight line nutbush sort myself, but anyway. <laughs> to each story, i very much enjoyed the Tillys getting stuck in and bringing tony along for the journey um the other thing i enjoyed was from their stories the other day where jenna mccormick who's back in camp is one of the great characters um just relishing the weather in dublin made a point of saying just how sunny it was what a beauty of a day it was and then like just stares down the camera as she's walking has this all pre planned walks and goes Sun's out, guns out, <laughs> put her jacket to the side and just keeps going. Like uh, One of the great statements from Jenna McCormick. And again, that's our Tillies. So, yeah, the Tillies just getting back to their usual antics. How good? Real, tillies being Tillies.
0: How good? Just simply the best.
3: Angela, how good? This is also social media related I think we've got a little bit of a theme this week um so my how good is Nari kin doing some of the edits um for the Matildas and I just like every time I watch them I feel like I have a wind machine on me it's like always got cool music and they've got the mo. and she's just I love her work and it was so great seeing her be able to do that for the Tillies for this trip and so yeah a massive how good for seeing her do that I don't know it's and she does, she does stuff you can find her on Insta because she does heaps of um videos and stuff content. I don't know what the technical term is. Uh, what's her at? D I L A N C H. Go follow. Good stuff.
1: And another quick how good that I forgot to mention before. It was good to see the um channel 10slash Paramount Plus era kick off. Um, with a good, good panel and commentating crew. We know Simon Hill was on um play by play, but had um, Amy Chapman from Matilda for Brisbane Raw by Amy Chapman on co and that was excellent and then they had pre-game, half post-match uh, with Neve Owens hosting and Georgie Omendale and Sarah Walsh um, involved as well so great to see um, so many uh, knowledgeable and great women involved in the production and it was a great production value as well and really enjoyable um, especially at 4am when <laughs> you couldn't digest too much so yeah, kudos to them on a successful first Matildas run. How good.
0: We do love to see women in football media as women in football media. But um, uh, alas, how good. It's it's a really wholesome, cute one. So I was looking through some photos at the end of the game and came across uh, photos of Mary Fowler with her granddad, as we kind of mentioned earlier. There was the whole battle between Australia and Ireland, China, get her to play for them. It threatened to get really ugly. It was a whole drama. Anyone who's been around a while knows that it was a whole ordeal. It could have gotten really messy. People were so miffed when she went to the World Cup and then didn't get any minutes, so she wasn't tied or anything like that. But it's all worked itself out. But obviously she still has her Irish roots. She still has Irish family. And her granddad was there to see her play, and they shared a really cute moment. Post-game, she gave... Uh, him her shirt they were just hugging and it was just really sweet and wholesome to see that she got to have some family there and got to kind of share that moment, moment with them and what a game to do at scoring two goals so just a really cute how good for for the Fowler family we we love to see it I'm merging the the segments again because I can but um that's enough from us today. Thank you so much for tuning in. Remember, you can find us on ESPN.com.au and the ESPN app. We're on Spotify, Apple, and Google. Subscribe wherever you do listen and leave a review if you like what we're doing. We are at the Far Post Pod on all social media, so drop us a line there. But uh, until next time, Sayers.